we're live. Uh, Jeremy, thanks for for coming on for a chat today, man. I'm I'm excited for this. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. So uh, I think, like many Bitcoiners, um, well, we all come at this from different angles, and uh, you know, some people come from the economic angle, some from the technology, some from maybe the socio political, and you know, there's many ways, there's many different things that Bitcoin uh, impacts, and it has many you know far reaching implications, and I think that's part of what makes it so interesting, and also what uh, what brings people in from such disparate disciplines. And uh, a lot of people, uh, well, I'll speak for myself, I've never been that technically inclined. Being involved in Bitcoin is causing me or inspiring me to uh, try to overcome that a little bit. Uh, but still, the work that you do and the work of, of technologists and core contributors um, is something that is kind of a, another world to me. So I wanted to uh, you know, have you on today uh, to try to hear about not only your story and your experiences, but maybe... Um, you know, uh, shed some light on uh, on on that world for for people that don't have too much insight into it. Uh, yeah, I, like, uh, what are you asking concretely? <laughs> <laughs> Not asking anything directly. Okay. I'm saying that's that's why I wanted to gotcha. to do this today. I was like, I, I was like, I felt like it was like a big question. <laughs> yeah, I, I I do. I'm long winded sometimes. Um, but why don't we start with this? Uh, and I, and it's I know it's kind of cliche, but just to set the context for this discussion. How and when did you get into Bitcoin and, and what, what uh, caused you to be so involved uh, in the manner that you are? Yeah, so there's kind of a, a, a bit of a backstory. Um, but I first heard about Bitcoin in 2011 while I was in high school and I uh, was doing an internship. I read about it on Hacker News. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I heard about some people using it on campus for various uh, purposes. Uh, software year of college at MIT, I started doing a project using Bitcoin uh, called Tidbit, which was like replacing uh, ad monetization on websites with cryptocurrency mining. And then we'd just gotten this whole uh, boondoggle with the state of New Jersey. And it became this like kind of uh, major legal case. And then I doubled down and just stuck around and, you know, kept on working on Bitcoin after that. Right. And you know, what, what are the things about Bitcoin that have caused you to devote so much of your, your time? I'm sure you're, you're capable of engaging in other projects. What, why do you continue to work on Bitcoin? Yeah. So my, I mean, at this point, my primary background is Bitcoin, but my primary uh, background at the time was around like human computer interaction. That's really what I was interested in is like how people use uh technology and and how it's designed to allow people to accomplish various goals and when i learned about bitcoin i was immediately fascinated by the idea that computers could fundamentally do money i mean we kind of understand that computers uh do money from the sense of like online banking things like that but that a computer network could be its own self-sufficient monetary network i thought was incredible and then dealing with some of the, uh, you know, challenges of, of how you actually go about using that was what really interested me. And, and honestly, still interests me today. A lot of the work that I do is motivated by trying to get a deep understanding of what people are trying to accomplish with Bitcoin and making software that helps them better accomplish that. Right. And like, give me some insight into what, uh, like, you know, a day is like for you and working and contributing on, on Bitcoin Core. Uh, yeah. So... Every day is a little bit different as a contributor. The only days that are like kind of similar are like Thursdays because you have like a Bitcoin core contributor meeting. But really a lot of 
core contribution is interest driven. So you'll find a project that is sort of invigorating to you and you will chip away at, at making progress on that. And maybe you'll have a, a couple different things going at the same time. But a lot of the work, uh, like the, the mechanistic work is definitely uh, small and, and I'd like that's like actual coding compared to the theoretical work and the study and the you know testing and reviewing there's a lot of other work that you have to do and so the actual ratio of time that i think somebody ends up spending of like writing actual code to just thinking about what the problems are and how they can make an impact on improving the situation um you spend a lot more time on the latter than the former right and what what guides your when you're studying and trying to determine you know what the problems are as you were just articulating what what kind of guides that decision making? How do you discern, you know, like what underlying philosophy about what this should be guides uh, those decisions that you have to make? So from my point of view, I think that it's important that Bitcoin like have a narrative and like really like stick to it, at least as a developer. Um, and, and why I think that's important is it's pretty easy to like change goalposts and be in a bad way. So usually goalposting, we, we talk about uh, in sort of an adversarial context, like you've come up with an argument and it's pretty good. And then somebody says, yeah, but what about this other thing? And then they've you know shifted the goalposts and it's sort of like an ever expanding scope. But for Bitcoin, I, I think that there's a little bit of a uh, shifting goalposts in the sense of like, we realize that we're not really good at doing this thing. And so then we become this other thing and we realize we're not great at that other thing. So then we become this other thing. And uh, rather than ever, you know, fully answering, you know, can we do, you know, this use case or, or not that use case, we just kind of abandon and give up. So I think from my point of view, there are a couple concrete things I think people should be able to do with Bitcoin. Um, and I would like to produce the technology that enables that. So when I work on something, I am typically, uh, I, you know, there are a few pro problems that I think are really important. Um, On-chain scalability is something that I think is actually really critical to the system working well. So I have um, a bunch of work that I'm doing that pertains to making the actual base layer chain dynamics uh, significantly improved. Um, is th that's sort of one of the things where we've hand waved it away of saying like, oh well, it doesn't, you know, the, the base layer doesn't really matter because we've got this other layer that's good. But I think actually it, that that gets you into this house of cards situation. So I think it's really important to build the robust foundational layer, um, even if we know that it's not going to, you know, ever support like gigabyte blocks or whatever. It's like, you still need to make sure that the usability of that base bandwidth is really important. So that, that's one of my key focus areas. So if I'm trying to identify a problem, um, you, you definitely don't want to be in the situation of making uh, technology in search of a problem. You want to start with the problem and then make technology that addresses it. So one example um, is that right now, if you want to make uh, big uh, batch payments um, and you're doing it at a time of high fees, that's really expensive to do because uh, a batch is using like a, a big chunk of, of block space. And so you've got to pay for all of it. So like a very simple solution that, I, that I've been working on is, okay, well, like, let's just defer the creation of the UTXOs on the outputs from the spending to confirm that they're created. And then hopefully this will, you know, lead to a decongesting effect on the network. And then from that, it's like, okay, but like, what are the other issues that come up once you have the solution? How do you address them? And how does that fit into the larger ecosystem? That sort of pieces out a lot of uh, related problems that you can tackle. But none of the things that I'm working on, um, like 
in a sense, all of them pertain back to that original problem. Uh, nothing is just sort of like, oh, well, this is just like fun and interesting. Like I try and keep it focused to things that, that somehow move the needle on, on, on that problem area. Right. I'd like to, to understand a bit better the kind of the decision making or, or conversation process amongst developers. But before I ask that question, you know, is it important that everyone working on Bitcoin have kind of a, a unified view of what this is meant to be or what it is or what it could or should be? Is that important? Um, by and large, the software project operates on sort of a scratch your own itch basis. So people work on what they think is important. I do think in the long term, uh, it's important that people are values aligned with how the technology should proceed. And that eclipses just developers. That's sort of like everyone who uses Bitcoin. Because the reality is, if you have a large enough dichotomy between two different types of user, they are going to want the system to grow in fundamentally incompatible ways. And that leads to sort of tensions like we saw with the block size debate, but also there maybe are some values that we can commit to now that we make them sort of enshrined and move those, move towards those values. One, one thing that people talk a lot about is ossification. And I think ossification is sort of an answer to this, which is saying, maybe we can't agree on values in the future. So maybe the value that we can agree on is that we never change anything ever again. At. And, and I actually think that that is sort of a, a negative lesson to learn because if you do ossification as your core value that you uh, maintain from today on, I, I just don't believe that Bitcoin is sufficiently uh, technologically advanced to be locked in place from where it is today. Like I, I, I would think that the project needs to dramatically improve. Um, not that it's like bad, it's one of the leading cryptocurrency projects technologically uh, as well as socially, but there's so much room to grow, uh, it would be insane to not, uh, you know, to, to leave that completely off the table and say, no, we're ossified, we'll never change anything. Right. And so kind of to that end, um, do you have certain fundamental values that you think are kind of in the unchangeable category that have to kind of be dealt or built around or accommodated for that, you know, uh, that aren't kind of subject to change and then beyond which, you know, changes can be made, upgrades can be made, things can be discussed. Um, I would say one of my core values is an effort to be scientifically rigorous about Bitcoin. Um, and not a lot of people are scientifically rigorous. Uh, and I think that that is a long-term issue. Um, I think Bitcoin as a, as a platform, when we talk about properties, we should never hand wave um, and say, you know, oh, well, like people probably don't have an incentive to do this, so it's okay. Or, you know, this is not how Bitcoin works. It's like, okay, well, how does, how does it work? And can you show me a model that shows how you know, how you're proposing Bitcoin works is, is how it works. This is something that's come up for me a, a few times where my scientific, uh, you know, you know, mindset around this people feel is, is bad because it's trying to say, hey, Bitcoin actually might not have this property that we think it has. Here's a framework where we might see something unexpected. 
if we see this unexpected thing, we need to come up with new technology to move Bitcoin back to, you know, uh, have the properties that we think it should have. Um, but then a lot of people feel socially that's an issue. And if socially something like that is an issue, they feel that the right thing to do is to attack the scientist, you know, point of view for saying like, no, Bitcoin is not this, you're evil, you're bad, you're fudding, you're, it's like, okay, no, it's not necessarily fud if you just want to like figure out what the answer is. Could, do you have any examples of that? Uh, yeah, the main example that I have was the uh, like Binance reorg thing where I suggested to CC that like, hey, you know, if you like had all these coins stolen, it's way more than the block reward for like the next, you know, like week or two. So you could just like sign some like extra transactions or like leak your keys or something like that. You know, you're not going to get the money back necessarily. In, in my understanding of the game theory, you'll have to keep on bribing and then the attacker will bribe but you can scorch dirt, make it so that the attacker, you know, doesn't get anything um, or, um, you know, nothing happens and the attacker gets the funds. Like either way, like we'll learn something new and, and, and whether or not that idea works out, right? Whether or not miners actually would reorg 30 blocks to, to get back, uh, you know, coins with a bribe is sort of not the main, you know, the main point. The point in this conversation is that if you believe Bitcoin is strong, then me saying this has absolutely no impact or value and doesn't really matter, right? Because if you actually believe that Bitcoin has these properties and principles, saying something like that is just like non-threatening and just stupid. So you can just say that's stupid, this isn't gonna work out. But on the other hand, if you believe that Bitcoin is fundamentally weak and you're uncertain of its actual properties, something like this is very threatening because this could actually work. Right. And so we, we exist right now, I think, for this particular issue in the state of not really knowing if reorg incentives work or don't work. And so I'd be interested to collect, you know, like evidence or work on designs that make that as something that becomes more unlikely or we have more robust models of why reorg incentives won't work rather than the current model is, oh, yeah, but that would crash the price of Bitcoin. So that would not be good. Right. And that's not a robust model to me because somebody might want to crash the price of Bitcoin and this might be, you know, leverage to, you know, make it cheaper for them to do that. Or it might even be in like smaller cases, like, okay, we're going to start seeing this a lot at like five or six block reorgs because people are going to build out the software to make this work well. So I think that understanding those types of things is like the scientific inquiry side, but people also have the social side of just saying that like, well, this is evil and bad and the system shouldn't work like that. And uh, I think if that's the case, like we just need to develop technology that makes it so the, the technology can't work like that. Right. I, I find it interesting that in a lot of the conversations that go on around Bitcoin, you know, it's seen as this kind of bulletproof, you know, infallible system. And no doubt it's it's robust and, you know, possibly anti-fragile and, and all the rest of it. But um, people seem to give less lip service to the social element of, of Bitcoin. And I'm just wondering, because that is such a, an integral element to it, and along the line of, of this questioning that we've just been talking about, do you, do you think there are, you know, and I take your point of kind of like running the experiments that are like are almost inevitable to be run anyway, whether they be by an attacker or, you know, something like that. So might as well sort of thing to see if it's actually as robust as we think. Are there any uh, tests or changes that you think you know, should never be done or tested uh, because they may fundamentally, um, you know, 
damage the incentive structure or the security or the value of the protocol itself? Yeah, so I think that there are um, probably close to nothing like that, uh, in, in my opinion. Once you know a bug exists, you can patch it. And then the system after the patch should be better. And I think the things that are in that class of like, this shouldn't be messed with because this will permanently and irrevocably damage Bitcoin. I would say, you know, like the thing to maybe do is to like sell your Bitcoin and then execute that attack. Like, I, I don't know like what the, the morality is of that. I haven't thought, thought through, but like if Bitcoin is not, like we're trying to build technology that is going to work in the most adversarial circumstances. And so if you have something that you think oh, hey, like, you know, I, I'm going to be able to permanently mess up Bitcoin. Uh, I would not want Bitcoin to be something that people rely on. Um, you, you know, if, if, if it has this like sort of like unknown vulnerability that we haven't yet, you know, teased out, like I want people to be able to rely on Bitcoin. I want Bitcoin to be secure enough. So if there's if there's a real attack out there and it's not getting fixed, um, I, I would rather know about the attack and then not rely on Bitcoin in a time of like urgency than have Bitcoin fail in an actual time of urgency because we didn't address one of these issues, you know, in times of peace. So right. what do you, what in your mind are some of the call them tests, experiments, maybe that's the wrong terminology that uh, you would like to see Bitcoin uh, tested against to maybe shore up some of those questions or vulnerabilities that you just referred to? I mean, I think it would be important to see a large reorg happen in practice. Um, we we have not seen one of those. Um, we have no idea how companies would respond. Um, and it's sort of one of those things that might break that social layer. Like even, like, I don't know, like how large of a reorg would break the social layer. I would guess it's probably something like six blocks would break the social layer. And that to me is a bit of a problem. Um, because if it's, you know, if an exchange accepts like a massive deposit or a number of exchanges accept massive deposits and it gets reorged six blocks in and they've already been like exit, you know, scammed on that. Um, I, I, I don't see Bitcoin surviving uh, uh, as a single, you know, instance in a world where like the top three exchanges got hacked in this way for like more than, you know, a billion dollars. Um, I would like to see Bitcoin, you know, like there, there be a legitimate chain that continues on, but there's no way that those companies that have so much influence in, in developer talent and at so much at stake would not propose that like their fork of Bitcoin, which did not, you know, hack them is now the legitimate one. I, I have a feeling that that would happen, um, you know, and that's something that happens just within the existing consensus rules. It's not exploiting any bug of the system. That's just, hey, look, you know, we don't actually know what happens with all these, you know, how all these companies will behave. Um, so I think, you know, it's either something that you want to test or you want to at least build out a, a social plan that sort of says like, hey, look, here's how this will be handled. And if you get caught on the wrong side of this, um, you know, it's kind of your fault because we've agreed as a community already that, that there's some sort of standard procedure around a reorg, you know, greater than this length. Um, Zcash has something like that where I believe if there's a reorg longer than a certain length, um, they just shut down the nodes and they say, look, like at that length of reorg, like clearly consensus failed and you shouldn't permanently be off the network. But when you come back on the network, you should make a decision about what that means. Because 
at that length, like it probably means that there's like a longer term split and it might be an attacker. And like, you know, that we like, we, we, we don't want to do checkpoints. We don't want to force you to be on one chain or the other, but we do want something that says, okay, if we see that long of a reorg, like proof of work might not be doing what we expect it to do. And if you see one, the chance that you see another is like also more likely because you've just seen one. So like another one has no reason that it also couldn't happen, um, you know, cause whatever, whatever, you know, conditioning on like the likelihood of this is now higher. So that, that's sort of one of my worries is like, you know, we might just see like sort of like a failure of, of the network in some, you know, way that the system's designed to have, but socially people are not prepared for that. Right. You know, and this, this is one that kind of gets uh, brought up well, it's it's kind of evergreen in terms of uh, discussion around Bitcoin, but it's the hard cap. And, yeah. you know, when I was asking the question, like, are there any, you know, kind of fundamental attributes that you think, you know, should not be subject to this kind of experimentation or testing or, or whatever? Uh, do you think the the hard cap is among them or sh should I extrapolate your answer there to say not even that is kind of sac sacrosanct? Um, yeah, I mean... Honestly, like, I don't think that the things like, so, so there are a lot of people who uh, will like derive like various like economic properties from things like the block cap, from things like um, the specific proof of work that we're using. Um, by and large, I think I'm not an absolutist on what those things are or how they evolve and change over time. I think that there's like pretty reasonable ways that the system can over, over you know, maybe not like quickly and in response to like crises, but like, over a long and planned period, you know, like probably with those parameters, like I'm sure there's something that's like, that's like low enough risk. Um, the thing that I think is most important is that people are able to use Bitcoin and it's like not discriminatory. Like those are like two like really important properties. And as long as we're satisfying those, um, I'm a little bit less worried about like, because I mean, you know, one of the things with like the hard cap is like, will the economics of proof of work work out if we don't have a hard cap, right? That's one of the big issues. Uh, the other issue is like, do we have enough bandwidth uh, and storage space? So on the economic side, like we already don't have great proofs that the economics of proof of work are completely sound. We have good evidence in practice, but you can think about evidence in practice as being a little bit like saying humans can't get uh, viruses because we haven't had, co you know, COVID-19 yet, but it's like not, it's like falsifiable, right? Like as soon as somebody figures out some sort of like economically profitable thing to do that breaks this underlying property, like then everybody will kind of, you know, adapt that new economic model, um, and it will spread. So if there were like, it, this is like with selfish mining, it's never become viral that everybody should selfish mine. But I think it's pretty reasonable that at some point in the next, you know, decade, somebody figures out the actual correct software for selfish mining more profitably, then that just becomes the norm. Like it's just, it's just more profitable. So why not, why not run that? So in terms of like, uh, you know, block size and, and, and things like that, I, I already don't know if the like economic higher order principles and properties that we want Bitcoin to have will be met. And so it's hard to say that like this thing would actually break, you know, be the thing that breaks the economic model. And, and it, we might actually figure out a different set of economics later on that point to having a larger, you know, amount of block space be beneficial. And that's, again, my scientific mindset is like, if we discover that this were true, like I would be biased towards saying like, yeah, that maybe that's what we should do. I don't think we've had any evidence that shows that that's what it should be. 
So I'm not advocating that, but if it were to be the case, like I want Bitcoin to be as robust as possible against competitors. Um, and, and that's where part of this ossification battle comes in is you can then say like, well, if we just don't change anything at all, like that's actually something that we'll have a really long track record of. And that track record is really valuable. I don't really know how to contest that. I just don't think Bitcoin's in a place right now where a track record of not changing when we're, you know, technologically so primitive uh, is the best, you know, hill to die on. But I, I, I'm, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong there. Um, yeah. I think I think one of the lines of thinking, you know, I've heard these conversations, had these conversations, is that, you know, some people think that, um, you know, this idea of absolute scarcity, which I'll, I'll, I'll maybe get your thoughts on in a moment, but just that, you know, we it may be the case, and again, I don't think anybody knows the answer to this, but it may be the case that uh, we get one kind of kick at the can and that us kind of, you know, in consensus agreeing that certain things shall not be changed while other things, you know, certainly can be, um, that if we can't agree, agree on that in one instance, then we kind of will we'll lose the opportunity to ever agree on it sort of argument that, that is made in that respect. Um, and which is, a, I think there's nuance there between that and ossification. I think, you know, realizing the, the importance or the value in saying that, you know, agreeing that a certain thing won't be changed because we recognize the, the benefit of not doing so and then changing yeah. whatever other parameters we, we may be able to. I think that's a bit different than than just saying, let's not change things because of, you know, the length of the track record of having not changed things. I think there's kind of a philosophical distinction there. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, supply is probably the trickier one of, uh, of, you know, compared to like the block size and things like that. Like one of the reasons why I don't care about block size in particular is like, let's say we discovered a way to make transactions half the size. Would we now say that we need to like decrease the block size by half so that less people can do payments? Like kind of no. So like, I, I think that that's where that one is like robust, but in terms of the total supply, that feels much more deeply ingrained into like the, the DNA of Bitcoin is like, Bitcoin is really this, it, it, you could view it as Bitcoin is this UTXO set. And um, I actually, uh, if, if I were Satoshi, I would have implemented mining rewards a little bit differently. Um, you know, with all the knowledge that I have now, I would have actually just predefined here are the UTXOs that get, that are, you know, lock time height available at each block. And uh, then you would have like a UTXO that a miner can claim. So instead of saying it comes from nowhere, it's like, each miner is just getting some time lock available UTXO and spending that out. And the distinction would be then you can make, you know, you know, the sort of very clean abstraction that the blockchain is this protocol that we have for showing the transitions purely between this, this initial UTXO state to some future UTXO state. Um, and th that would be kind of cool, right? Cause then you'd just be able to say like every, every, you know, like there's an initial set of UTXOs for, every block up to, you know, there's no more block reward. And then people are just claiming the ones that they're able to claim at the time. Um, and I think if you wanted to change the UTXO set, the ownership, uh, it's not uh, as much, in my opinion, maybe an issue of uh, like Bitcoin monetary policy as it is an issue of like private property rights, uh, where, you know, you would be uh, you know, maybe they're creating new property or taking somebody else's property. And then that would be, I, I, I think, uh, a worse 
uh, thing. And, and that goes, you know, Bitcoin, that would be sort of like, uh, I, I'm not, here, here's maybe like a good, you know, way to connect it back to what I said earlier. What I said earlier is that people can use Bitcoin and it's like not like discriminatory. And I think that changing the supply ends up being sort of like a discriminatory action because you, you're favoring some set of, of people who are getting that new supply over some other set of people. Um, and uh, if you're taking property to do it instead, then you're you know, discriminating against somebody to, to seize their property. So I think that it'd be very tricky to do something like changing the supply uh, without violating so, some principles that exist outside of Bitcoin, right? Which is like, you know, private property rights. Yeah, or perhaps even more interestingly, rights that Bitcoin for, has the opportunity for the first time to actually enforce. Because, yeah. you know, property, you know, I often not jokingly refer to rights as permissions, you know, as, as much as, you know, humanity has tried to in certain times and places enshrine certain rights so that, you know, the people yeah. in agreement with them can live peacefully and prosper uh, in, uh, in a prosperous way. You know, the reality is, uh, you know, the world is very much a will to power. And if somebody with more power than you wants to impose on your rights and they, they can do so to the extent that you can't defend yourself. And yep. what's interesting about Bitcoin is that if, you know, if we're using it as this uh, mutually agreed upon, you know, kind of form of money and property, uh, the, the, the rigidity, I get the permanence of, of certain aspects or properties of it and the, the supply being one is necessary to ensure that that property right remains a right, remains yeah. enforced, remains unchangeable. Um, last thing, uh, about that, when when we talk when we get in these conversations about you know it's kind of uh, this decision to not change bitcoin kind of being that the necessary social layer or not change certain elements of bitcoin being that necessary social layer to turn almost like alchemically turn bitcoin into something beyond mere tech um if if we kind of are in the mindset of experimentation and trying things out and, and, and testing things, which I don't think, I think everyone can uh, understand the rationale and logic behind. What is Bitcoin's relationship in your mind to any other project that seeks to do something either the same or similar? You know, if it's, if it's, are we just in this kind of comp, not maybe competition is the wrong word, but are we just in this kind of iterative process of everyone trying this kind of new uh, agglomeration of technologies to create something or you know similar? And let's say for the sake of this question that they're all trying to create more or less the same thing. Uh, is it just then that, like who can iterate, experiment and, and you know, hit the nail on the head more accurately or, or is there some, something else at play? So I think one thing that's sort of uh, interesting, and I think your question is fundamentally asking, is like how much moat does Bitcoin have, right? Uh, like yeah. How defensible? It's it's it's, it's is asking that. It's asking that, but it's almost beyond asking that. Saying you know, um, does Bitcoin? Should we even operate under the assumption that Bitcoin like needs a moat? Because can there only ever be one sort of thing? You know. Yeah. Um, so I think the the way that I view it, it, you know, people like to call Bitcoin Hayek money, right? That, that's something that people say. And, and the reason why is not because like Bitcoin itself is fundamentally Hayek. But what Hayek was saying was that people should be able to like mutually 
form their own monies, right? Like that, that's how money should be made. It shouldn't just be like this like state driven thing. People should be able to make their own currencies. And it would be fundamentally like anti-free market to say Bitcoin can be the only one, right? Now, if you're saying that because it's a personal view, right? Where you're saying, personally, I will only accept Bitcoin. That is a very different thing than saying, uh, like nobody else should ever accept any other currency. Yeah, you know, because then if you get into that angle, you could say, if you accept Bitcoin, I will come to you and I will kill you. Or, or if you, you know, accept, uh, you know, Ethereum, I will come to you and I will kill you. And you go, well, why? And you're like, well, because I need to defend the hegemony of Bitcoin. It's an attack on Bitcoin to use anything else, right? And, and that, that's actually close to the dialogue that actually we, you know, we see on crypto Twitter. We see people going like, this is an attack on Bitcoin. That is an attack on Bitcoin. Yeah, attack, 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 attack. It's like, okay, look, not everything's an attack on Bitcoin. Other things can exist. And actually, if you believe in like free markets and monopolies stagnating, competition is actually really healthy for, for Bitcoin because either we compete and we win or we don't compete and something else wins. And then that other thing that wins is like better technology. So if you're trying to, if, if you're dedicated to the mission of like, how do we make the best, like, you know, internet currency, right? You can be comfortable in thinking that it's Bitcoin today, but if you think that there's no reason anything else can ever succeed, then you need to actually step back for a second and get really worried about what that means for the technological progress of Bitcoin. And if we stagnate and become a monopoly and become as worthless as the current fiat system that we're reliant on, right? Because mm -hmm. that means people are just locked in and there's not going to be any progress and it's not gonna be able to adapt to like new conditions. And at some point, every monopoly, you know, no matter how entrenched will be decapitated by a, you know, by a competitor. A competitor will come in and will, you know, if, there's, if it's a big enough monopoly, it may have to be fundamentally significantly better, but it will happen. And, and, and I think that Bitcoin doesn't have uh, any sort of uh, inherent specialness over something that could come later. Um, if, if the thing that comes later uh, just beats Bitcoin at its own game on, on many, many metrics. Yeah. And I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I, so this will be the last question on this particular topic. But I'm, I'm intrigued, and that's, I guess, why I'm, I kind of persist in the line of questioning. I'm intrigued by this concept of uh, absolute scarcity, like I said before. And I, I take your point entirely, and I think it's just natural that there's going to be a ton of competition. You have to let the free market do its thing, and it's yeah. going to bubble up a bunch of crap, and it's going to uh, bubble up a bunch of things that have see things from a different perspective and solve slightly different problems, grossly yeah. different problems. And, you know, that, that's, there's certainly no way that you should want to stop that, nor could you really in, in, in most cases. Um, but I'm just fascinated almost by the philosophical meaning of having this thing where maybe, like I said before, like, may, is it our chance at coalescing as human beings around yeah. something that is our first kind of example of, of something that we can enable we we kind of enable it to be absolutely scarce, and by introducing other instantiations of that, we may actually disable it. You know, we may we may actually yeah. ruin it if we try to establish it in more than one place. And I know that's kind of a deeply philosophical question, more so than a technological one. But I I love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, so I think one thing that's interesting is that, and this is, this goes back to the moat question, um, or at least like the moat narrowing of the question is like anyone can copy the UTXO set, 
So if the if the thing that is you know like in question is like does does our current system of like property rights need to respect this like digital scarcity? It, it's really it's not really not the scarcity that's the issue. It's really the like will society permit reallocating goods, you know, in, in some new in some new way? And if you if you take the side of no, then I think what you'll what you're basically arguing is that you believe that the free market will eventually prefer new coins that launch uh, by just copying the UTXO set. And if you answer yes, then it'll probably just be like new launches with new proof of work and you know no shared history. But I think that if things do push more that way, you'll just see more people wanting to fork Bitcoin because that will be like the only way that's like you know market wise accepted. If it's if it's market wise accepted that yeah, like it's legitimate to copy the you know UTXO set. I think most people will passively like not really care, right? If you fork the UTXO set and I just get new coins, like whatever. If those new coins end up being a lot better than Bitcoin, then sure I'll use them, right? Like if you if you forked Bitcoin and then um, you know there's not a security issue with like spending on both sides, and then you're like, yeah, and we enabled this new feature that makes it a hundred times cheaper to make payments, um, or you know maybe asymptotically cheaper to make payments, and then it's like, okay, well like I I, ha I have this coin, it's worth something maybe on the market right now, like I might as well spend it, right? And so I, I think that. I think it's just going to be really hard for Bitcoin to defend that position long term, um, especially if there are the, the people who are making the fork might actually, and this hasn't happened, I don't think yet, um, but you could make the case that it, that it already happened. But especially if the people who are making the fork are more aligned on Bitcoin's values. An example of this would be, we're adding a better privacy layer to Bitcoin and we're adding some new you know, zero knowledge proof stuff the people who are detracting it are saying that they are not sure that it's completely secure yet, or they're saying uh, that uh, uh, we actually want Bitcoin to not be private because we want this perfect auditability property, right? And so, and then so you could imagine people are forking over that, and I would see a lot of people going like, "Well, no, I want the one that's private. I don't want the one that's not private." And and, and things like that, I, I definitely think that there will be cases where the ossification path, where it's just like, "No, we're not accepting any changes." will not be seen as being as valuable as the, you know, bold new feature that is more Bitcoin than Bitcoin, right? Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch play out. And I guess ultimately the market will decide these questions. And and as you say, yeah. you know, I think, uh, you know, the the fact that one or that all these instances exist, but in the case that we were talking about, a, a hard cap Bitcoin, that it continues to exist will at least allow the market to ask and then answer eventually that question, is it valuable to have something that has zero supply elasticity that remains the same no matter what? And does the value inherent in that trump XYZ features that might be more robust in some other chain or network or whatever? I mean, we're, we're going to find out. And that's, uh, that's one of the things that makes all of this, uh, this, this big phenomenon so compelling. Um, you know, when we talk about changes and we talk about development and the market and stuff, um, you know, no conversation of Bitcoin, especially perhaps with a developer, is complete without discussing kind of uh, attacks, you know, and you've you've made reference to them a, a little bit already uh, in our conversation. Um, aside from market driven attacks, you know, co competitive attacks, you know, I think this is better. So I'm going to move over there. 
what where do you see big uh, bitcoin's biggest vulnerabilities and uh, or how do you even define attack for an attack first and then where do you see the most the biggest vulnerabilities for bitcoin yeah so i think we mentioned earlier that there's a lot of people who like to sort of like meme around about like bitcoin being like the hardest money ever and you know it's like invulnerable bulletproof whatever uh i think one of the things that's really dangerous about that is uh people don't see that that's a larp um that people are talking about the aspiration of bitcoin not necessarily like the current state of bitcoin today so you know uh, someone tweeted i think a few weeks ago like you know bitcoin is like a tank and it's just like boom it's gonna go over everything and you know like the lightning network is like is like air support and it's gonna you know it's like it's like okay like you've got like some like military you know fetish about like making bitcoin seem like it's really tough but what's what's dangerous about that is if you tell people this narrative that bitcoin is invincible people won't think that there's work that needs to be done to improve it and i'm really worried uh and, and you know i i don't want to go too into detail on like what, which areas i'm i'm worried uh, um but i'm really worried that bitcoin uh from, just from an attack perspective not from like a scalability or anything but like just from attacks that bitcoin is vulnerable and we need significantly greater investment in of resource in making bitcoin actually bulletproof and security is not in certain cases you can make something that is just you 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 look at it you've proven it and there's really not anything that can go wrong with it but for a piece of software as complicated as bitcoin security is uh, a a ongoing concern and you have to adapt to new threats on the network, new types of attack that have been discovered. And with the comp complexity of Bitcoin, you're never going to discover every single possible, you know, attack. If you look at tanks, for example, you know, there's there's a great history of like tanks being bulletproof and invincible, and then somebody comes up with a new kind of missile, and then they have to come up with a new thing. And you know, there's like you know pieces of armor that shoot themselves off so that the you know that the thing you know hits at like a further distance, and then there's um, you know, like missiles that launch off the tank to hit missiles coming in. And now there's missiles that, that go in in a different way. And it's just like always, you know, it's, there's uh, a, a new protection and then a new attack, the new protection and then a new attack. And I don't see Bitcoin ever being at the point where it just like is so secure, nothing can ever get to it. Um, we need that uh, continual loop of improvement um, on, on a lot of the areas of the code base. Right. And you mentioned you didn't want to get too deep into some of the vulnerabilities. What What's the reasoning behind that? Um, well, so if there's something that I'm working on that is a vulnerability, um, then talking about it on a live stream is like the wrong thing to do. Um, right. So, uh, you know, there are areas that I'm worried about. Um, uh I, I put out a blog post uh, on one of the more like broad areas that I've been looking at, uh, which is like the mempool um, that's on uh, judica.org slash blog slash mempool. Um, so people are you know welcome to check that out. It just kind of high level goes over what some of the uh, historical concerns around the mempool have been. Um, recently, I think uh, today, somebody posted a website on um, uh, in DOS attack, which was uh, denial of service with, when you send too many in requests in the peer to peer network. So there's a lot of stuff in the peer to peer network that, you know, you can kind of crash someone's node with. And a, a lot of the network uh, today sort of relies on this like transitive property of like, 
you know, if somebody you're connected to is a good node, then they're not going to send you bad stuff. And if they're a good node and they're connected to a bad node, then the bad node crashes them. Well, you are still connected to them. So like now you're not going to get any, you're not going to get the good stuff. So like, you know, maybe you're still going to be okay. And so it can be hard to propagate bad things across the network if the majority of your connections are good. But I, I am pretty, you know, worried that there just like a lot of the adversarial network situations have not really been fully explored out and that we only really have um, in Bitcoin core right now, we have um, unit tests, which cover like individual functions. And then we have um, functional tests, which cover like what the node should do, but we don't have that many adversarial network wide simulations. We just don't have the tooling or support for like, you know, making nodes like networks of like thousands of nodes and like testing how like one attack can spread. We just don't have anything like that. So testing is one side of it. We don't have the ability to like make proof of concepts and try them out. But then there's the other side of, um, uh, you know, we, we also just don't know like that deeply, like, you know, it's just understudied how all these things, you know, play together and what ways things could go wrong. And I just think yeah. more, more energy and effort and attention on that would be really good. When you, when you think about attacks, uh, do you think about them, well, without getting too much deal, do you think the most, um, the biggest vulnerabilities, let's say, are in the kind of code and technology department rather than the economic? And just so I can mm. explain what I mean by that, oftentimes one attack vector that will be, uh, you know, uh, that people will talk about is, you know, some large maybe state actor or coordinated act will get a bunch of hash power together and attack the network that way. Um, and that would be seen as kind of a, an economic attack on the network or a little a little bit of both yeah. perhaps, but um, versus, you know, obviously there's been bugs uh, in the code in the past. And, you know, so are, are you more concerned with, uh, let, let's say, you know, uh, that type of threat? And do you give any consideration or do you have any kind of uh, insights or thoughts on what level of security the uh, is bestowed upon the network through the economic you know game theory or incentives that uh, it cultivates yeah so there are a lot of different types of issue that can come up one thing that i think is nice about like actual bugs that like crash your node is that okay your node crashed you just restart it you know, like big deal. Um, even if it's like, uh, you know, like there are like worse types of crash than, than others, but uh, you know, you might have to patch it. It might just be like, okay, like I had a bad peer and now I restart and I don't have any bad peers, so I'm okay. And I run for like another week and then I crash again because I got a bad peer again, right? That That's like not great, but like, you know, maybe the network is okay with that. Maybe it's like, okay, I, I just need to patch the, the bug and then I keep on going. So even like the thing, like uh, the uh, double spending issue that happened where we weren't checking that, um, you know, the coin was only spent one time within a single transaction, which happened a few years ago. Uh, you kind of objectively know what should happen, right? And you can say like, okay, look, maybe we didn't detect it soon enough, but like, assuming we detected it, like we're just going to either blacklist the coins that participated in that transaction because they were they were trying to break it and that's the simplest thing or we're just going to undo to that point and we're, we're going to work from then on right so you, you have like pretty objective things that you can do 
uh, like in result of something that's like actually a bug and everybody agrees on what the correct behavior would have been, right? When it's something that the correct behavior, like the network is working as intended, but the economics aren't aligned and, and something's going wrong, that to me is a much larger risk because I don't know what you do about that. Like there's no, there's no fix. That just, that just is the new Bitcoin. So I'm a little bit more, like, you know, everybody knows that software has bugs. So it's not really a surprise to, to, to the market if software has bugs, but not everybody knows that the game theory of Bitcoin might not work as expected or people might have more of an incentive to do something bad than you thought. And so that actually does expose like fundamentally new information, if that makes sense, for just from an inter information point of view. Like yep. you are, we already know Bitcoin has bugs and we already know that the bugs that Bitcoin has like probably are things that could take out the network, right? You know, like if you, if you think that Bitcoin is that, you know, secure and has no bugs, like you probably are not a developer because a developer knows that like every project probably has bugs like this. It's just, it's incredibly hard to get rid of every possible, you know, attack vector. But on the economics, like, I just don't think it's like rigorously proven enough that like, there's no way that somebody could amass 51% of hash power and be incentivized to take out the network, right? Or there's no way that somebody's going to mine a reorg of, you know, 50 blocks because they want to undo a transaction, right? Because they would lose all their Bitcoin. It's like, well, what if they don't care about Bitcoin? You know, and right. I think you have to model somebody as having, um, you know, some other set of incentives. And, and it's really hard to, to model external incentives. Yeah, totally. So we, we kind of know the bulk of the threats or vulnerabilities in the, let's say, code department, but the economic and social and game theoretic ones are yet to be uh, discerned. You know, they have yet to come to light if they do it all. Yeah. And, and you know, there, there are worse types of bugs that could come up, but they're also like less likely. So like mm -hmm. one that would be bad is like, um, maybe I shouldn't say less likely, but um, like, let's say somebody uh, can do an RCE, a remote code execution on your node. So that would mean that they basically get to like log into your computer. That would be really bad, right? Um, though that type of thing is a little bit less likely just given like what Bitcoin does, like uh, compared to um, somebody denial of service attacks your node and it crashes. Right, mm -hmm. like the, the the set of denial of service attacks is probably much wider than the set of remote code execution vulnerabilities. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm listening to you talk, and 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 I, it always strikes me, and it's not surprising, but it's obvious when I speak with people that do the type of work that you do that the the tone is far more uh, well one cautious and also just kind of pragmatic, as I'm sure you know, you referenced. Bitcoin Twitter a few minutes ago, um, or crypto Twitter, whatever you call it, the, uh, you know, people can get wrapped up in this. And I'm sure I'm guilty of it uh, myself at times, too, because I think a lot of us are so hopeful about what this may represent that, you know, maybe sometimes we put the cart before the horse or maybe our aspiration or ambition uh, for this uh, is beyond its current state. Not to say that it may never achieve what we aspire for it to, but, um, you know, and and I think a lot of us, perhaps that's at least partially a result of not being so uh, acu acutely familiar with the nitty gritty ins and outs that someone like you may yeah. be, that we, you know, we, we just assume that everything is going to work and everything's going according to plan. And, and, you know, we're, we're not aware of all the different bits of pieces that could, that could uh, jeopardize this thing. What, what do you make of how people interpret this uh, network? And what do you make of 
you know, Bitcoin's economic mass at this point. And of course, it's just a snapshot in time. But let's say it's about $200 billion uh, worth, US dollars worth of of money held on this network. Uh, and what do you make of, of people that talk about, you know, hyper-Bitcoinization, a Bitcoin standard, using Bitcoin as global currency, supplanting the US dollar in the future? What do you make of all of this uh, perhaps hyperbolic talk about Bitcoin in the future? I think that what I don't see is uh, a real sense of agency. Um, there's sort of like individual agency in how people talk about this. And the individual agency is I can buy sats or stack sats. I can have them on my private key, not an exchange. Nobody else can take them. I have agency. But what I don't see agency around is other than stacking sats, I can contribute to the hyper-Bitcoinization happening. It's this thing that one day is going to happen, right? That's, that's how people think about it. And the only thing you can do is, you know, be a good Christian and say your prayers. And then during the rapture, you're going to get taken up, right? Like that's sort of like the level of, I, I, I think, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, causality that people have around like their individual behavior and the eventual outcome, right? Uh, I would like to see a lot more causality and agency, right? Belief that actually, you know, and people also think that like melting off on Twitter is really important. It's not like you're, it's an echo chamber. You're just talking to the people who want to hear what you have to say. Um, so I, what I would like to see is, is people who actually think about like, okay, if, if I want to make the Bitcoin standard, if, if I want to be a part of that. I, I can't just stack sats. I have to find ways of transacting in, in, in Bitcoin. And that's, you know, like maybe it's not super important that people are being, you know, doing their coffee, but it's like, Hey, if you are selling a car, like you should be trying to figure out if you can sell it in Bitcoin. Right. Cause that's a major transaction. And you, what are you going to do? Sell the car, get dollars. To, and then you're going to buy Bitcoin, like settling and denominating, your transaction in Bitcoin, especially for international trade. So if you're buying something, you know, overseas, like that sort of commerce is actually really important for Bitcoin becoming the sort of de facto, um, you know, standard. Um, I, I, I think that um, there are other things too, where um, like taxation is theft, right? Like that's something that I think most people in, in our space agree on. But the people who say taxation is theft are not anti-state collecting revenue. They just think it should be voluntary, right? Like if there's a state agency, it's important, I will give it money, right? So like if I want the police to come to my house when I call, uh, which I think nowadays most people like just don't want the police to come ever, but like if I want the police to come, like I will pay the local police department. I will voluntarily give them because I want the services. If I want, you know, like some, some fire departments, like you have to pay the fire department a yearly you know, fee if you want them to come when your house is on fire. So there are things like that, right? And I think that uh, it's starting to develop. Like, I don't know if you've seen like the Bitcoin dev list and like the GitHub sponsors activity, but I think people really have to ingrain that like hodling Bitcoin is not sufficient to make Bitcoin, you know, snap and, and, and hit that threshold, you need to like actively be contributing to developing the network. And, uh, you know, this is something that really grinds my gears is, is I think, um, 
Brian Armstrong said in the, in the Peter McCormack interview, he said, you know, like we don't contribute that much to Bitcoin development, but we contribute in other ways, like making it easy to buy Bitcoin. It's like, fuck off. Uh, like, that, you know, sure. And, and nobody send this to Brian. Cause you know, like I'd love to, you know, work with them if they, if they wanted to, but, uh, the, the thing is like, that is not really enough to like push Bitcoin, uh, you know, beyond the fold and, uh, you know, bring it to, bring it to a larger position. It actually takes investing in, in the, the deep fundamentals, um, to, to reach those next thresholds. And, and I think that that is something that all. Bitcoiners should think about is like, it, you can't, like, you're, you're not allowed to be a passive investor here. Um, you, you have to think actively if you want Bitcoin to succeed. I'm not saying you have to give me money. I'm not saying you have to give a developer money, but like, you've got to be trying to do commerce in Bitcoin. You've got to be um, you know, funding development. You've got to um, try to, you know, even in cases where you're not directly receiving something, you've got to try and say, if there's a dispute, and, you know, like if your, your damages, your damages are due in Bitcoin, you've got, you've just got to try to find ways of making Bitcoin be that integral part, just holding on to a stack of Bitcoin. It, it's, it's self-referential and, you know, sort of insular, uh, and, and that insularity, I don't think, uh, gets us to this, this hyper Bitcoinization use case. Do you not, are you not receptive to the argument where people say, you know, just to, to counter that? they'd say, well, I'm, I'm going to trade my shitty money for better money right now, and I'm going to squirrel it away. And, you know, people that are sufficiently motivated to contribute in different ways, core devs, podcasts, books, whatever, will do so because they're literally inspired to do that, whether they get paid for it or not. And, uh, at such and and let allow that process to percolate, allow that to happen as it has been happening, continue to happen in such a way and perhaps that means that the uh maybe perhaps that means that uh, the adoption will be slower on mass but you know still uh you know it's it probably will still happen so what's the what's you know why not what what's wrong with that approach let's say you said you're not allowed to just hold it but what what's wrong with just trading in my shitty fiat for bitcoin on a regular basis as i live my life and uh, you know let people who are perhaps, I guess, more inspired than me, do more work and use it the way they see fit, because after all, this is all about freedom. And if I want to use it in this way, I, I, I'll use it in this way. Yeah, I mean, like from a, from a libertarian perspective, uh, like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I, like I have no issue with anybody who wants to be a hodler and just like hold coins. But as soon as you say Bitcoin's going to hyper-Bitcoinize, like, like, okay, who's doing that? Who's doing that work? And if you say like, oh, well, I'm just like incrementally buying a little bit along the way, like maybe eventually that, 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 that can happen. It's not going to be a hyper Bitcoinization. It's a gradual Bitcoinization, right? Um, prices might start going up. And so you're going to be buying less and less at each time you buy, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's decent. But I think for the sort of like societal shift that, that, that people are envisioning, uh, I, I just don't think it happens in that way. And, and you're sort of believing in, this event that's going to take place that like everybody else is going to be causing to happen, but you yourself are just going to passively like ride the wave. Like right now you've got a bunch of people hoping to passively ride the wave and there's not going to be a wave. Right. But like that, that, that's, I think the issue is if you have too much passivity, there's no wave. And do you, do you say that because, cause I'm, I'm thinking on the economic side of things, like if everyone converts 
US dollars into yeah. Bitcoin, uh, then you know the market value should grow because the demand will 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 continue to grow, right? So yeah. from that way, they're not being passive, and there might be a wave. But do you mean the wave of Bitcoin kind of becoming what it can be and used as it should be? Because I'm 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 like you know just more and more people hodling should would probably have an upward effect on Bitcoin's price, yeah. but it has to yeah. be used for something at some point, right? That's the argument. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, here's like a counter argument, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, of why you need to spend a large amount of Bitcoin every year on making Bitcoin better. So think about two competing currencies. Currency A uh, has, you know, like just like purely like, you know, self-interested driven, you know, funding, right? And let's say that number comes out to be, uh, let's just be generous 1% a year, right? So if it were one, like, in, this is a small number, right? But 1% a year for Bitcoin would be like $2 billion a year for funding of Bitcoin, which would be crazy, right? Like you would be funding thousands of developers to actually work on this stuff. I think that that would be great. Like we should aim for that, right? But it's not happening right now. But let's say like, you know, we're in the future and then that's what it is. Now, Bitcoin has a, a natural competitor and that's the US dollar. And the US dollar says, okay, we are going to put like, you know, 6% a year, 10% a year, you know, whatever, whatever actual inflation is of dollars printed just to making the dollar more defensible and better, just to making the dollar the best currency in the world, right? And if you look at two currencies, one that's saying we're reinvesting in, in you know, in being better and the other saying we're, we're not reinvesting in being better, it turns out that over the long term, the one that's the one that is based on volunteer voluntary principles may might be better, but it will just get crushed by the one that is, you know, sort of based on like coercion and force. And that's something that that's a, that's a negative in our society is that is that yeah, you can cheat to get ahead. Look at like China, China cheats to get ahead on you know human rights abuses. And once they're ahead, you know, they kind of like whitewash maybe some of those things. And in America, we did it too, you know, like we had slaves, we use slavery to get where we are. And same with Europe, Europe used slaves to get where they are. They used, you know, colonial power to get where they are, which was a lot of, you know, transgressions against you know, human rights and, you know, people's, you know, freedoms. So you use these things to get ahead and then you go like, well, you pull the ladder. No one else should do this, right? Um, so I think that that's just the thing to keep in mind is like the, the competition is very much willing to print money to make themselves better than Bitcoin will be. And that it can be better in a, in a lot of different ways. And so if we can't collectively... Uh, you know, sort of voluntarily deliver funding for that, we, we might see a situation where like whatever else comes along is just like better, you know, better at, at creating technology to, to, to you know, do it. And, and I, I, I don't know that there's like, and it, this is where you get to even in the competition space, like I don't know that a, a competitor to Bitcoin, you know, like and ignore network effects, right? That just said 1% a year to like a developer fund that's like, centrally managed but you, you know maybe can go away uh if people vote against it or something like you know i i don't have a concrete proposal for how you'd mechanize that but like i can't really honestly argue that that wouldn't you know eclipse bitcoin because if you put a billion dollars into making better wallets better layer two technology better privacy better you know better 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 like maybe maybe that's worth paying for i would love for it to be done voluntarily though and that that's what bitcoin is really banking on is that voluntarily people have enough incentive and, and, and enough developer incentive to say, we want to fund this work. But if that doesn't manifest, which there's a chance that it won't, right? 
and, and that's where I think people will, people listening on to this will, will probably get upset because they're going to say, you know, like, well, no, people will voluntarily show up to do this. So the incentive is there. And what I'm just, all that I'm saying is I'm saying, okay, if the incentive is there, show me, show me that the incentive is there, do the work. And then that will be enough proof. I, I'm not saying that it's impossible. I'm just saying that I don't see it happening completely right now. And, uh, you know, let's, you know, like maybe let's make people aware that the narrative that they bought into requires this type of participation. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. And, and I, I wonder if Bitcoin's existence and development thus far somewhat disproves, may be, prove a counterpoint to that argument. Because as you said, the, the USD and all the investment in fintech over the last 10 years has been astronomical, certainly more than has been devoted to Bitcoin Core. But yet Bitcoin, uh, for a certain reason, has grown and developed. And so, and actually this may tie back to what we started on where we said, you know, the 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 permanence or or the importance of fundamental attributes or values of Bitcoin, because it may be the case that it's those that convey that kind of, uh, you know, innumerable value to the network. So, yes, you know, the U.S. dollar fintech market might have 10 or 100 billion dollars of investment a year, but maybe uh, a, a hard cap or maybe certain consensus rules or maybe other elements of Bitcoin are what gives it, you know, almost a priceless value. And that's yeah. why it can afford to compete against something that can never establish those same, those same so, attributes. So let me, let me uh, restate that in sort of like a same, same message, but different. Bitcoin sure. is much more efficient at allocating capital to development. That Bitcoin only requires 1% to beat, you know, 100%, right? And, and, and that's because people who, working on, who, who work on Bitcoin uh, focus on things that are purely driven by, you know, like their, their values and principles. And so all of Bitcoin development proceeds in this very principled way, whereas like fintech, you know, whatever capital might be more driven by like whim and a lot of money is just wasted on shit that doesn't matter. So that, yeah. that's one way of arguing that like, that like, yeah, Bitcoin might actually just not need as much funding as a competitor might need. Um, and, and I would buy into that, but it's still like, it still needs funding. And I think where I would draw, you know, like the, the contrast is I, I've been playing a little bit in the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, I have a company that I, that I've started recently called Judica, um, judica.org, um, trying to make, uh, you know, tools for developers, building smart contracts and other things on Bitcoin. And over the last, uh, you know, week or two, I've said, well, I should really just learn what the state of the art is in Ethereum. Like, what are the tools that people have access to? Uh, you know, what's been written? What are people like working with? And there are a lot of issues with Ethereum. Like, you know, they really try and strive for like, you know, like a, a big reach. But if you look at the, the quality of a lot of the tools that they put out, like I'm pretty impressed. There's a pretty big number of ecosystem tools that make it very easy to participate make it very easy to, um, you know, sort of like develop and write and integrate. And I would like to have that for Bitcoin as well. Um, now, I don't necessarily want all of the like, you know, ideas that people make in Ethereum smart contracts for Bitcoin. But what I would like is I would like if somebody wants to make a, uh, you know, like application on top of Bitcoin, that there are high quality libraries and tools that help them do that securely, because that is going to increase the amount of, you know, like economic importance of Bitcoin. But right now, largely, there's just like not funding for that in, in the Bitcoin space. It, it, it's slow. It's a trickle. It comes. But like, like, you know, Lightning Network, 
have, you know, like the companies have like maybe an aggregate, like $50 million of funding across the ecosystem. But like, I don't think anybody individually has like more than $10 million of funding. I mean, if you just look like that's a drop in the bucket of transaction fees for a single exchange. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, which I, I think that just points to like, we're, we're not long-term invested enough in, in sort of the fundamental problems that Bitcoin faces. And I would, yeah, I just want that to change. I want more sure. people to think about what they want hyper Bitcoinization to look like. And then to say, is that work getting done? Yeah. And, and I totally get, and I'm by no means, uh, you know, arguing the point don't fund development, but you know, everyone listening to this should, should be more engaged in that process should, you know, hop on GitHub, see who's, you know, yeah. who's on there and who you can support. And I, I fully support yeah, and, that thing. And it's not just a give me your money thing. Like you know, make that <laughs> podcast, write that book, you know, make a blog post, you know, like just do something, but yeah. you know, uh, you know, like the, the minimum thing to do, which is like stack sats and then like tweet about how you stack sats. Um, uh, you know, unless you're like, have like the profile of like, uh, American HODL, which like, you know, he, he's created like, you know, like a movement, but like you participating in that is, is, is not as much a participation in creating a wave as, you know, being a part, being a part of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get you. And I think that, you know, just the last point on the kind of competition for funds, um, I think, yeah, I guess the point to put my point simply that I was trying to make is that, you know, it seems to be the market is valuing those attributes that are uniquely represented in Bitcoin that are not in the legacy system. And it's interesting that it's they're va it's valuing them to such a degree that it can still compete despite the, you know, the overwhelmingly yeah. more funding in the legacy system. And that's that's a testament to what Bitcoin represents. And it's a testament to what people like you have helped uh, make it be and everyone who's involved in it. So, you know, it's, that's why it's such a fascinating phenomenon. Um, Jeremy, I know we're we're bumping up against time here. Are you? I got. Are you good for another ten minutes, or do you got to oh, shoot yeah, off? I'm I'm great. Yeah. Okay. Um, you you mentioned also, and this is kind of a relevant topic these days. You mentioned the echo chamber that is Bitcoin Twitter, and I know exactly what you mean. And you know, everyone we all feed into it in certain ways and certain times. Um, but I also think, uh, as much as that is is the case, and there's so much, uh, non productive conversation let's say that goes on there and some of it's in good fun and some of it's you know people's insecurity flaring up and some of it is just you know uh, friends joking around with each other and you, you know it's, it's 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 the best approximation of a fuckload of people from all over the world getting together and goofing around and you know developing factions yeah. and all this kind of stuff you know um but i think it's valuable in the kind of public square uh uh, metaphor of it where we can put out ideas there and because some people are anonymous and because some people don't give a fuck yeah. about being rude or whatever we can actually hash out ideas now if you're going to be able to do that you're going to have to be able to sift through the noise and to block out what actually is noise and sometimes it can be hard to do that do that and certain people um, are less able to deal with everything that comes with that than others but um you know, there's recently this big thing about um, the the blacklist, blocklist, you yeah. know, discussion. Uh, I guess I'll firstly just ask what 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 was your take on on that whole affair? Um, so I mean, there, there's that's two questions. The first question is, what was my take on the actual like pull request? Like, I commented on that pull request originally, and I said I'm basically indifferent. Like, uh, you know, I think that there's definitely terminology that's like more loaded than blacklist, whitelist, like 
that those don't really have that sort of etymology. So I, you know, there's like whatever on, on that one. But if we're going to make changes like this, like I just prefer the code to be consistent. That that's sort of like my take is like having you know if we make it inconsistent or if we break backwards compatibility, like that's kind of worse. So like whatever we do, like you know, like if if it makes people happy, like I don't care. Let's let's just keep it backwards compatible and consistent, which I think is kind of fine. Uh, it's like purposely a message that like do it in such a way that there's not an impact on anyone. All right. doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's leads to an explanation of what I think about the whole debate is like, it just doesn't matter. And it's a variable name. And I understand that people like feel like it's sort of the politicization of the project, but I think that what people are missing is that there's like a threshold for these things of like not really mattering to anyone. And because this issue was like, I mean, either the person who put it out was doing it as like troll bait um, or, um, you know, the people who responded are, you know, trying to inflame. It just kind of doesn't really matter. And it's better to just like kind of move on and keep the project like, you know, doing whatever, whatever, you know, people like actually care about doing. Um, and honestly, like if it comes up later that someone's like, hey, we need to make a more aggressive change. Um, it's just, it's difficult to see how that change will meaningfully impact the code itself. Because, you know, there's a big chasm between refactoring and like an actual like feature changing for some purpose. And I, 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 I mean, I know people talk about like frog boiling and how like, you know, like, hey, you know, first they came for the uh, blacklist and then, you know, I didn't speak up because I was not a blacklist or, you know, it's like, okay, look, it's literally a variable name. Um, there are already changes that people are proposing and making that you should care more about. And that you aren't turned on to those ones shows that your concern is more about uh, this particular type of change mm -hmm. rather than about that people are making changes that need strict you know, scrutiny and review. Because if you're worried about, hey, maybe changes made need strict scrutiny and review because they might be like bad influences, there's a lot of other stuff you should really be paying attention to. This is th this this issue that people are debating is purely about the politics of somebody who is, you know, doesn't like the language of blacklist contributing. And I just don't really care, um, you know, en enough to, to think it's like an important thing that people need to like now become the, the Bitcoin review army. But if they want to become the Bitcoin review army, it's great. Here's a lot of things to look at. Like, I hope you care about more than the variable names. Yeah. I, I I agree with you or when when you said it, I I do think it is the type of change that people were responding to. You know, I think when the variable names were explained to people for those that didn't understand them including myself, you know, it's yeah, sure, it's inconsequential, let's say, or as close as it can be to that. Yeah. But I think what what the bulk of the um, you know, the resistance to it was was that I think most people liked to think of, and you can shed light on whether or not this was the case or not, because I certainly don't have that much insight into it, that, you know, the kind of the uh, ethos of, of uh, working on Bitcoin was one of kind of absolute pragmatism. Let's use, you know, the words and, and works and commands and everything that we do uh, because it makes Bitcoin better, you know, because we improve it in some way not for other motivations, whether they come from the political yeah. realm, the personal realm, what have you. And um, 
you know, I, I get that it's inconsequential, but I, I think there's some merit to the frog boiling in water argument because, yes, it is. I mean, I'll, I'll take your word for it. It's ex- extremely inconsequential right now. But just the fact that that type of intervention uh, came to Bitcoin, I think, was a shock to some people that thought that Bitcoin, again, was 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 kind of uh, like completely pragmatic and and. I guess the the insinuation there was that they they were hoping that it was immune to whatever political winds were blowing at the time, and then we have someone and correct me if I'm wrong here as well that you know I, I don't think they'd made uh, you know had much interaction uh, you know on, on GitHub I mean, or anything I'll, before. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a concrete example. Um, so like on a computer, uh, you like execute processes, right? Yeah. Um, and if a if a process makes a uh like a new process it has a child process and the process that made it's a parent process and so at some point in a computer science lecture your professor will say that you execute the parents and the children and inevitably this is funny right because it's mm-hmm. like uh you know like ah, you're executing the parents and the children right, right. like that's right. funny you know it's, it sounds very but if you were to take like a big picture view and you were to say how do we make the most effective, you know, computer science lecture? Um, it, it, it's a distraction, right? Uh, and I think that that's where some of this stuff come, comes in is people are just saying, look, this, you know, whatever language you're using is, is sort of like distracting from the point. So here's something that, that does not distract. Uh, and I think that that is like a very different type of thing than saying uh, like, uh, you know, your like you know your project uh needs to change in some fundamental way but but it, but that that could happen in the future and maybe that's what people are worried about but that i would also welcome if somebody says hey look here's a functional change that bitcoin would be more effective at accomplishing its goal were this to change then i'd be very curious to say okay well is the goal that you stated this a goal that i hold for bitcoin and does the change actually do that right and for you know, I, I, I think, you know, for, for whatever, you know, uh, people are going to react to, like, some of these language change things, like those battles have been like, kind of like lost. And I think that things are just going to going to change. So like, if they re- were really upset about it, like, it feels like a little bit too late on, on some of those, uh, you know, culture war items. But I, I just don't think that, uh, like, a, it's like, the wrong type of thing to be doing, which is like, can we have language that's more clear? Uh, and, you know, sort of like removes maybe some, uh, you know, like ambiguity that might exist otherwise, like execute the children and their parents. Um, and, and B, like, are we like meeting our goals well? And what are our goals? Like, you know, what, what would be like bad for project, you know, in this case for project inclusivity and what would be good for project inclusivity? And like, I think generally people want the project to be more inclusive. Uh, we want more contributors. We want more people who are reviewing code. And so it, like, if there's something that somebody ch- chimes in saying, this is like, you know, this is negative for me, um, I'd like it changed. Uh, that's, you know, it's like, it's hard to argue that like, that like that change is against the stated goals of like the actual, pro- the, the code project, maybe not Bitcoin itself, but the code project, which is to be a place that people who want to work on Bitcoin can feel welcome to work, right? So it's just, it's, to me, it's just hard to justify. Yeah, but that's a slippery slope too, right? Because you say like one of the goals is inclusivity and you reference like, is this good for the project? If so, and that's the pragmatism piece that I was referring to. But like, you know, someone may say, well, it would be more inclusive if we change this and more inclusive. 
conclusion is good because there's more people, there's more diversity of thought, and therefore it's good for the, the project. But that cr- opens a door. You could rationalize or justify pretty much anything through that through that thinking and that that line of reasoning. So I think what people were were upset about is that there was such you know there was an acquiescence yeah. to the so, so, clearly so here, obviously here, political thing. Yeah, here's um, the thing: it's Pareto. So like. So like, except for the people who are just like offended by like other people being offended, which is I think a lot of the people like this change is not worse for anyone, right? That, that, that's really what it comes down to. So when you, when we look at changes, we evaluate not just who they're good for, we evaluate who they're bad for as well. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, except for maybe the slippery slope argument, which like I'm, I'm not too sensitive to, this was not worse for anyone. So if it were actually worse, and this is where I came in with backwards compatibility being important, is if you want to change blacklist, which is used in multiple locations in the in the code and in the in the RPCs and APIs available on a node, um, well, we can't just get rid of them. You have to uh, create a new one that does the same thing. So if someone doesn't want to use it, fine, they don't have to use it. Um, but if somebody does want to use it, it works the same as it as it did before. That 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 was my point. Is just do whatever you want, just don't make it worse for anyone. And, and I think that that is, uh, like any change is gonna be evaluated on that metric anyways. So I think that that's why people are overreacting is they're saying it's a slippery slope, but they're not realizing that this change was Pareto. And if a change isn't Pareto, then it's gonna be very, very strictly scrutinized. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. Uh, I, you know, I just, I guess what I was trying to say is like, do, you mentioned like, we again, the inclusivity piece, but you know, the language is the language and most people understand what it is. And if someone really wants to contribute to Bitcoin core and to Bitcoin's cause, I I, got to think that if, you know, their desire to do so is not greater than whatever offense they may take to some kind of common language that's used in computer science or or daily life, then, you know, that that seems like a, a fairly reasonable hurdle for me for people to have to get through to bring their talent and and ambition to bear yeah. to this project. Like if that's what's going to turn you away from it, then your heart's probably not in the game anyways. Yeah. So I think people are misunderstanding a little bit of like probably how the, how it functions, which is that accepting a change like this is the signal that you're welcome rather than not than having the language be a signal that you're not welcome. So I think that that's like some of the nuances. Like, I don't, I don't think it's so much that somebody's going to uh, like, uh, like see blacklist in the code and be like, Bitcoin must be racist and like I cannot contribute. But instead, they're going to say, oh hey, the Bitcoin developers accepted a change to change blacklist. This is just like a, a, a small like nod in in hat tip that like if I show up as a contributor, they'll treat me as an equal and respect me for what I have to say. And not you know doubt me for my abilities because I'm you know black, so yeah. I think that that's sort of like the like that's the re- like that's the reason I think why people are are pursuing this sort of thing, uh, other than like the reason people think which is like you know like they want to divide and make divisive changes and sort of, you know like that sure, may sure. also be the case. But I think that that's that's why like I'm you know by default like you know like okay look if somebody wants this like sure you know it's it's testing the waters to see like you know what sort of, politi- and, and honestly, I think the outcome of the Bitcoin community's like sort of reaction to this ends up being a disinclusive signal. Like, oh yeah, you know, th- the core maintainers were fine with the change, but the rest of the community is probably like, you know, less welcoming, right? So like they, they're pro- like, and I think that you would probably, if you ran a poll of all the people who are opposed, 
I would say, you know, maybe most people who are not in favor of it aren't racist, but probably some of the more vocal people, like their fundamental reason for not wanting to change, like may have been racism, right? Like that may have been the reason why they cared so much to like months after it got merged, make a huge, you know, deal about it is, is, you know, like that, that could be their political alignment. And that is probably the signal that, you know, gets uncovered. Right. So we learned something in the process, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I understand what you're saying, and I obviously can't speak for all those people, but I I I do definitely disagree with that characterization. I I think that's probably not the case, and I I think it maybe fails to recognize. Right, so you think it. that most people are racist, or no? That I feel like th- their reason for you know kicking up a fuss about it was not due to racism, and I don't. And so I, I think it was more along the lines of what we've been discussing already, where they 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 kind of were uh, they didn't like to see that you know the political paradigm of you know offensive language, let's call it, crept into Bitcoin and caused you know any sort of change, even as insignificant as it was. But um, and you know obviously you're making assumptions and even you know saying that. You, maybe some of them were racist. I mean, we all come at things from our own perspective and ideology and views and stuff like that. But my experience with, you know, the people that I talk to privately and at length and this stuff, um, you know, that that simply has not, you know, I, is totally not the case as far as I'm concerned. But uh, but that the reason why I bring this up is because I think uh, the Twitter, you know, I, Twitter to the extent that it's useful at all for such conversations, I think you know that conversation should be able to be had on Twitter without people crying, toxic, racist, shut this down, cancel this, block you, mute you. Like, let's yeah. just have a chat about it. Let let's let's let the yeah. ideas talk, and we don't have to like each other all the time, but we care about this project, right? And so. Let's let's take these ideas and see what they're at. And let's not take it so personally. Like, I know it to each their own, but I don't care if someone calls me any old name on Twitter. It doesn't matter to me because I don't care about what you think of me. I care about the meaning of the idea and what we do with these ideas yeah. and how they can help us live better, more peaceful, more prosperous lives as individuals and as, as, as humanity. And so I think if, if we took that approach to, and there's going to be lots of the, such issues that pop up over the years, obviously. And so I think it's a, a bad precedent that, you know, people kind of shy away from being able to have this discussion in the public, even if, you know, it's, it, it uses language or tones that maybe you're, you're not used to or, or, or whatever. I think we, 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 get, we have to hold the idea and, and the debate of the idea at the like that's the most important thing not our our personal feelings about how people talk or engage and of course if people are actually hateful like you know if if they're overtly hateful threatening whatever of course those people should you know you feel free to ignore them but i don't i think we got to be careful not to acute um confuse you know kind of passionate language with uh threats for example or or hate yeah um, um Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, let's just say, like, you know, like I, I see a lot of language from different people. And I think that there are, you know, people who exist in our community who, like, you know, definitely are racist. And I, and I think, you know, it would be... Uh, it would be foolish for us to, like, assume that, like, Bitcoin somehow has, like, avoided any racists getting involved. I would actually be worried if we had no racists in the Bitcoin community, because it would mean that we're somehow like 
exclusionary, right? Like lots of people are racist. And if like, there's some reason they can't use the technology, like maybe that's like good in some sense, but it's also bad in some sense for what Bitcoin's trying to do. But I just think it's like, you know, like you, I, I think people are susceptible to uh, manipulations. And the reality is I think for this issue, most people probably don't care that much, but they've been sold a narrative and manipulated with a narrative, which is the, which is I think part of the case that people are making, which is why it's so ironic is they're making the case that this is a manipulation. And then by participating in this specific dialogue, they are being manipulated, manipulated into alienating contributors, manipulated into, um, you know, causing divisiveness where really there, there was not substantial divisiveness before. So that's why it's like a frustrating thing. And I, and I view it as, uh, like the, the making the change as not being that dangerous, but the reaction that people chose to have, because people chose to have this reaction to the change having been made a while ago uh, and chose to react in the way that they reacted, like that is the fire that, that like should have been avoided. And people decided to light it off once they found that it was flammable. Yeah. Well, like we were saying at the beginning about how people value different attributes of Bitcoin, like the hard cap yeah. and all this kind of stuff. I, I think, again, it's, it's actually probably uh, somewhat similar to that argument where, you know, a certain subset of people, and let's, let's correct for racist, whatever people, let's just remove, let's just assume well-intentioned people are the ones we're referring to. Um, I think they just considered, like I said before, you know, certain things just should not, uh, they didn't expect, let's say, you know, should not, that's for each of us to determine. They didn't, I guess, expect um, those types of considerations to be involved in any changes being made to Bitcoin. And I guess this example uh, proved them wrong to some degree. And then I guess this is the waxing and waning of how we figure out a, a course forward is things like this happen and it, it blows up or there's discussion or whatever. And we learn from it. And, you know, this is kind of what you were referring to before, where things that happen to Bitcoin, whether they're vulnerabilities or whatever, uh, it's almost good that they happen because we learn from them <clears throat> Excuse exactly. me, each, each, each time that they happen. And uh, people show their hands and hopefully we get to a, a better place off the back of these sorts of things. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, all right, Jeremy, I'm going to let, let you go soon. I really appreciate you giving me all this time. Uh, yep. I I, I don't want to ask, like, I don't want to finish. So in, in the process of answering this question, I'll think of a uh, maybe a, a brighter note to finish on. But sure. uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask uh, is just like, this is such an important thing to so many people. And I presume you having devoted a big portion of your life and time to it, you, you know, it's a very important project to you as well. Is there, what circumstance would be required or what would, what would cause you to give up or leave or move on from the project ever? Um, yeah, I mean, well, to be like, you know, vulnerable and honest, like I almost quit earlier this year. Um, it's really hard to be a, uh, you know, core contributor. Uh, it's not financially rewarding. Um, it's like sailing through the, you know, the Straits, you know, it's Magellan or something. It's just like very, very harrowing. And I don't have like a lot of financial security as a result of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, like uh, a wind blowing in the wrong direction, like is probably enough, you know, like that's, that's the reality. <laughs> I, and I, don't, I don't know, if, like, I think people think that uh, core developers maybe at large are like much more hardcore than they are. Uh, but the reality is like uh, Bitcoin, my contributions through, through Bitcoin do not pay enough for me to achieve, you know, at present, any of my long-term financial goals. So I am 
razor thin on that edge of being like, in order to actually do what's going to make me happy long-term, I should probably work on other things. And I think that that's probably true across a lot of contributors, but because it's, these contributors primarily contribute out of like the, the social and political aspect, people are willing to tr see if they can push it a little bit further. So I would say, yeah, like, I mean, I wish I could give you the answer of nothing. I'm like so diehard, you know, like Bitcoin, but the way that I view myself is I am somebody who is dedicated to making the world a better place. And I want to do what I think I am highest leverage at making the world a better place on. That's why I work on Bitcoin. I think I have a lot of leverage with the work that I do that, you know, like if I worked on something else, I wouldn't have, but I mean, I, I should turn the camera to show you the sky outside. Um, it's fucking orange out, you know? Um, ha have you seen this? No. Oh. Oh. So San Francisco, the whole sky is orange. Uh, we, you know, the, the, the air is like all smoke. Um, and, uh, the, you know, the, the state's burning. There's, there's COVID. People are, you know, dying, locked up. Um, you know, financial crisis. Like, there's just like so much stuff going on to look out in the world and say Bitcoin is the only way to fix all of these problems. Like, there's so many other things that you can work on to make society a better place. Um, and so I think sometimes when I view uh, how, how difficult Bitcoin makes it to, to, to scale that mountain of like, hey, I want to make a minor change to Bitcoin. It takes a year, right? Uh, for, a, for a small change, it, it sometimes feels like I, even though I have leverage on Bitcoin as a contributor, that, that the Bitcoin sort of ossification and you know, snowball itself has uh, some kind of like anti-leverage that makes it so that I'm actually not making that big of an impact. Um, and, and that is sort of both true in terms of like dollars, right? Like it just doesn't make that much money to be a contributor, but it's also true as in like, I can, I, I'm, I can fight like this year long battle and then the result will be, I get like two PRs merged that are like a marginal improvement on Bitcoin. And then it's like, is that actually moving the needle forward on the things that I care about? And when that answer is no for a long enough, you know, period, um, and it's not working financially, like, yeah, it just points to like, maybe I should work on something else. And I, sure. and I think a lot of contributors are probably in a similar bucket, um, which I, you know, I, I don't think is great for, uh, you know, the health of the project. I mean, with the recent, uh, you know, sort of like, you know, variable name change, like Vladimir was like, maybe I just like quit the project. Like, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. It's just mm -hmm. like, you know, he, I think he said, I don't get paid enough to deal with this. And somebody volunteered, they're like, oh, well, like, I'll pay you, you know, like, I'll donate to you if I can. And then he's like, no, like, it's not about the money. Like, I, I just mean that, like, like, this work doesn't feel valuable to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what people maybe like don't appreciate is that you want developers to feel like their work is actually valuable. And um, yeah, I mean, you wanted a positive note, so I think you're expecting a different answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I said I would think of a positive one because I knew that one. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a great setup for a positive answer, but uh, um, but it's on that hard. point, yeah, sure. And do you, I mean, if uh, if Bitcoin's trajectory stays on course, do you see that changing or will contributors be you know uh, compensated to some degree you know from whatever amount of of coin they hold and will that change the dynamic a bit like is a prolonged quote-unquote bear market make it more difficult for devs or is that just will that always be the case regardless because there'll be more devs and there'll be you know different um, same dynamic always prevailing i mean a bear market i think is actually relatively good for devs in in, in some senses uh 
one sense being that like you are earning income and then you can buy Bitcoin at a lower price. So, you know, it's good for devs in that regard because you're making Bitcoin better, but the price is, is stagnant. So as you make it better, you know, like you, you have a, a chance to, you know, capture the value. Like if I, like, that's one of the things that was like kind of like dismaying for me is like, I, I, you know, like have a bit of Bitcoin, but I don't have like enough Bitcoin that if I work for a year on a feature that makes Bitcoin 10% better and that manifests to a 10% price, you know, improvement that like I make enough money to like pay for my, like, I just don't have that much Bitcoin. Um, right. And 10%, that's a lot better, right? Like, I don't even know, like, I'd be lucky if I make it 1% better. So I think right. Right. The, the sort of like connection of like one's individual work and, you know, people work in aggregate, but it's like if developers in aggregate make Bitcoin better 10% this year, like, do I have enough Bitcoin that that pays for my salary? No, you know, you need a lot of Bitcoin. And I think that that's something that I, you know, think would be interesting is if you had some sort of like, Bitcoin uh, endowment where it's like you've just locked up Bitcoin in a developer fund and like it only pays out of like appreciation, not out of the like base capital. Like that could be interesting, uh, but that's sort of like hard to set up and capitalize. And, yeah. and I think for the most part, you'd rather just like give developers the sovereignty over those funds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, it is what it is. <laughs> it is. It is. It is what it is. I mean, I'm going to keep on. And I think it's also a part of why. You know, people might be wondering, I think I've been a lot more aggressive about uh, like funding uh, recently. It's, it's partly because I set myself a deadline on which I had to make it work financially or I was out. And so as that clock got basically down to a month before I had committed that I would be leaving the project, if I, if I couldn't turn funding, I just became more aggressive with saying, fund this work, fund this work, fund this work. And that's starting to turn that tide, but not, not fully yet. I've got a few grants, but like those grants I've earmarked for like specific projects that I'm going to involve other contributors. So it's just like, it's slow progress to get it to the point where I feel like, uh, you know, there's like a stable financial future where I can keep working on making this technology better and it's going to be financially rewarding. And, you know, there's a whole issue with licensing too. You know, like if I release the software that I'm working on and then nobody pays for it, what do I do? And people are saying, well, people will figure out how to pay you. And it's like, well, I don't want people to figure out how to pay me like two years from now when the project is good enough. I, you know, and, and people are like, oh, wait, I need, it's like, I need to have some sort of liquidity now. So it, it's, you know, it's, it's really, you know, people expect you to work miracles. Um, and uh, I have used all my miracles on my Bitcoin core contributions. So if somebody else could work the miracles on the financing side, like that would be uh, pretty nice. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, all right, I'll, I'll end it. This will hopefully be a positive note. Last question. Um, what are you really jazzed or excited about uh, that's coming up in Bitcoin? Like what's kind of getting your imagination going? What are you really looking forward to seeing happening? Well, I'll be uh, self-aggrandizing, like check template verify um, and the ecosystem I'm building around that I think is going to fundamentally change the way that people like interact with Bitcoin. It's gonna make it way easier to self custody. It's gonna make it, um, like easier to write certain types of smart contract and the tools that I'm building. Um, uh, if you go on uh, judica.org slash blog, there's one um, that's about like a puddle chicken game that uh, I, I worked on with uh, PySkill um, and it shows the tools. Like this stuff is getting really compelling. And I think that there's going to be a big opportunity for a lot of experimentation and exploration um, that uh, is I think just going to be like a, a really fun time to be in Bitcoin. And I don't think we've had like a really fun time to be in Bitcoin for a little bit. So I, I'm excited to see that this will be like a fun and like more like play driven, um, you know, experimentation time. Um, and I'm hoping that those tools will enable that. So that's can, what I'm most you, excited about. 
can you say what the name of the the project was again? Uh, yeah, so my website is uh, judica.org, J-U-D-I-C-A.org. Um, and the project, um, there's Sapio, which is a programming language that I am working on for writing uh, Bitcoin smart contracts. Um, and then there's Tux, which is a transaction UX that allows you to visualize and interact with smart contracts written in Bitcoin. And then there is Check Template Verify, which is a new opcode for Bitcoin that enables uh, sort of uh, new types of smart contracts that you can't really do right now. Wow. And what's the timeline we're looking at for this kind of stuff? Uh, timelines are hard because people, again, with this ossification narrative, there's another narrative, which is serialization. And the serialization narrative is that like Bitcoin is like the eye of Sauron and it kind of like looks at one thing at a time. And uh, because Taproot is being the thing that it's looking at, like, any other major technical change, those people will not look at or review because it's sort of like things have to happen one and then the other and then the other. I, I don't think that that's actually true. I think it's better to modularize and kind of like have people looking at different areas. Uh, but, you know, I'm only one person against the tide that's, that's saying serialization is the way. So it really depends on how long the other things that people are working on take. But it's been ready to, to go, in, in my opinion, for the last uh, nine months or something. Right. Um, but... Yeah, serialization is hard. I haven't made any material changes to the code or specification in the last nine months. And we can learn more about it at the the, the destinations that you referenced already, right? Uh, yeah, there's judica.org, which is like the the uh, sort of projects. Uh, and if you want to learn about the the BIP and the opcode, uh, utxos.org um, has a lot of resources on the BIP itself. Nice. Uh, well, man, this has been a, a really enjoyable conversation. I appreciate the work that you have done, that you are doing, and hopefully you will continue to do in, in the space. Um, any you know, last words or uh, places you want to direct people uh, that you haven't already before we, we shut it down? Uh, you know, I think that that's, uh, that, that's pretty good. Um, I don't know, like uh, stack sats, you know, earn them, uh, transact with them, and uh, you know, see you at the hyper-Bitcoinization, I guess. <laughs> there we go. All right, man. Thanks again. Take care and uh, we'll speak to you sometime in the future. Sounds good. Bye. See you, man.